Hi, it's Paul Camillos. Welcome to Series 5 of Shooting the Breeze. Join me and my co-host Jacinta Gavin as we talk to inspiring players, amazing coaches and the legends behind the scenes and at the grassroots of the game. This marks the start of our fourth year of covering women's hoops and women in hoops. And throughout the series, we welcome experts like Lyndon Moore from New Zealand and other special guests from across the world to get a global picture of the game. During this series, we'll take a closer look at the grassroots and the passionate people at the community level. And of course, the 30th edition of the FIBA Women's Asia Cup was recently held in Sydney, where the Opals took bronze and Asia's best players put on a show. Hit that subscribe button and to show your support, rate and leave us a review on iTunes so we reach more listeners. Welcome to part one of our All-Star Series 5 edition. Series 6 is just around the corner, but in this hang time, we really want to play it back for some of our most downloaded podcasts from Series 5. In this episode, we're sampling the following pods. Episode 120 with Al Kunick, Forging Her Own Path. Episode 122, Sarade Taylor and the Creative Pivot. And our first live pod for Series 5 with First Subs, a Women's Hoops community program with co-founders Madel Giles and Kaz Emery. Stay tuned for part two. Enjoy. There hasn't been a whole lot of Australians over in Europe when I've really played. I think myself, Beck Allen, Abby Bishop was over a few times, Tolo, obviously now Darcy, Ezzy. But for the most part that I've been over there, there actually wasn't a lot of Australians over in Europe. So even when you just saw one Australian, it was just the highlight of your week. When we had a national team break a couple of years ago, two years ago, Beck Allen and I met in Madrid and we went for a holiday. But just to play against an Aussie in the EuroLeague, like I played Darcy in Hungary in EuroLeague and in Hungarian League, and we also played Tolo in EuroLeague. So just to be able to see another Aussie, catch up with another Aussie is just, oh, it just really makes your heart so warm and you know, Australians are incredible people and I was just felt really fortunate to be able to catch up with my friends, you know, all around the world as well. So you're coming back to Australia. I actually, I've got to be honest, it was really surprising to see you at the John Kane game. You, it was like... Oh, yeah, that was... Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. I was like... Yeah. You know, because you also had changed your hair colour. So we were like... Yeah, it's a bit blonder now. Yeah, yeah. We were kind of like looking at what, what? Is that... Yeah. yeah so our coach we had a break for the national team and you know if you don't go home in that period you don't go home literally for nine months so because we didn't get christmas break so ezzy and i we just we had a really good game against merson and we'd won the game and we're like okay let's just ask let's just see so we both went to our coach and we just said oh do you think we could maybe go home in that february national team break and we were just kind of waiting 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 for him to say yes he's looking at his diary and we're like please 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 (laughs) and then he's you know he's looking at his diary and he's like you'd only really be home for like four days or five days and we were like we know we'll take it we don't mind (laughs) But honestly, it was just the best being able to go home. So everyone when I got home was thinking, oh, have you lost your job? Why why are you home? (laughs) I was like, no, no, I still have a job. I still have a team. I just, we got five days off and Ezzy and I were on that plane. (laughs) That's that's surprising. Their first reaction is, 
what, have you lost your job? Not, yeah. hey, how are you? So, <laughs> Timsy was like, oh, did you get fired? And I was like, oh, God, no, no, Timsy, I still have a job, I promise. <laughs> and coming from Europe and actually being at, at that game, what do you think mm. of the crowd? Oh, it was amazing. Oh, my gosh, it was awesome. I hope I get to play at John Kane Arena this season, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> yeah, no, it was incredible. And obviously Townsville's crowd's amazing. So, no, I'm really looking forward to the crowds. I mean, European crowds are amazing but also very crazy. The noises of drums in your ears and, like, horns is just sometimes a little bit too much. <laughs> but, no, it was an incredible crowd and, and an, an amazing spectacle for women's basketball. And I really hope we can continue to build that in Australia and continue to show Australians, you know, how good Australian women's basketball is and that, you know, AFL isn't the be-all and end-all. <laughs> yeah. Now, I like the, the fact that you mentioned that their crowds are crazy. Like, for Australians who haven't experienced the European crowds, like you talked about drums, how crazy do they get? Sometimes it's so loud you just can't even hear your teammates. Like it's just constant, constant, constant. It never stops. Wow. And especially, you know, in you know, in smaller gyms like a place in Chopron where our gym was a lot smaller, it was really loud. And obviously in the bigger gyms like Merson, I remember, I think we had a packed out crowd of like, I don't know, 20,000 people or 15,000. Wow. It would have been. No, 15,000 people maybe or 10. I don't know. Actually, that's probably the wrong wrong word. But the crowd was packed in the Mercer Arena. You couldn't even hear, like, your teammates. You just couldn't hear anyone. Jeez. That would mm. – I mean, that would make it really interesting. Oh, yeah, it does. I mean, it, it definitely adds a great element to the game. And, you know, there's so many times where I just had to little, literally pinch myself playing in some of the arenas that I played in and some of the places that I played in and – but no, it was it was definitely a great experience, and for sure, I will I will miss it. I definitely will miss it this season. But I hope that we can replicate that in Townsville and around Australia as well. Well, Townsville certainly, uh, you know, being a community owned team, being a regional team, yeah, the games are always sold out, and you're going to be in a team that's the reigning champions. So I'm sure every home game is going to be sold out. I mean, they even gave the championship team a parade. So. The, the, uh, the yeah, I heard about that actually. Yeah, cool. Well, Amazing. Like come home to a parade like you see a lot of the NBA players, you know, online having that kind of uh, luxury mm -hmm. of a parade. But given that Townsville as a club and as a team have so much support from the local community and they also do a great job of giving back to the local community mm -hmm. too, to be mm -hmm. fair, was that a strong selling point for you to decide to join Townsville for next WNBL season? Yeah, it definitely was. Look, there was a lot of teams that I was speaking to and had offers from and, you know, I, I would have loved to have come home to Melbourne. Obviously, Melbourne is home, but it just felt like the right thing to go to Townsville. Uh, Shannon, I spoke with Shannon last season, but obviously stayed in Europe and, and the opportunity came up to play for Shannon this season. And I just kind of grabbed it with both arms because watching him coach over the last few years has just been absolutely incredible. And watching what that team did this season, I remember Ezzy and I would wake up early and go to the coffee shop and watch the final series. And they were just so impressive as a team. And, you know, I've just seen the organization grow from strength to strength and, 
the way they treat their players, the way they are as an organisation, how professional they are. You know, they now play at the Entertainment Centre, which is, you know, incredible place for, you know, selling out packed out arenas for women's basketball. That's just even more amazing. And and absolutely, to give back to the community in basketball is a big thing for me now. And I've been really fortunate enough that over my journey that a lot of people have really helped me. And I think that's something that I really lacked in Europe, that I didn't have that purpose and that fulfillment of giving back and I think that was really a driving factor of me coming home that I miss that connection and that being able to give back and probably being able to add more to the world than just being a basketballer so that was a really big factor for me to come home and I'm really looking forward to growing basketball in the Townsville and the Australian community as well and and just keep giving back to the sport that's really given so much to me. Trying to be diplomatic as well. I'm like, I hope I'm not sounding, <laughs> I hope I'm not sounding too too harsh or too whingy. I'm. It's like it's relatively objective. I would claim. No, no, no. I, I don't disagree with anything you've just said. I'm actually really curious about the, the thing in there that got me really surprised was the between the end of the season and I'm guessing when you're starting to get to the front end of the next WNBL season. Mm-hmm. If I've interpreted what you've said correctly, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of radio silence for a while, which really surprises me because I would have thought there'd be more communication going on between the club and the player. I think every athlete's journey is different and everyone's experience is probably slightly different in that space as well. Talking from my perspective and also a lot of other athletes I know share a very similar in a similar position, I'd say, with probably a similar level of status if we're looking within the basketball professional sporting hierarchy, there is often a real chasm in communication, which I think is detrimental to the league in general because that pathway is not consolidated and then you do see athletes with no choice but to leave. Hmm. And that kind of leads into the next thing that I wanted us to talk about, which is mm-hmm. the career path and mm-hmm. the earnings and what you've got to do day to day to keep, you know, the doors open and the lights on. Work, study, how does all that get juggled? And, like, how did you juggle it? I'm like, how political do I want to get? <laughs> I would say the way the system currently is, is inherently classist because the only reason I was able to be a development player for six years is because I live at home with my parents. And if I was not doing that, and if I was having to pay rent, and if I was having to work a nine to five job instead of just a part-time job, I would not have been able to do it. And therefore, the sport is losing all of those athletes who are potentially good enough to be WNBL players, but just through sheer luck in the way the lottery works in life, are not in the position to do so. No, I think that's a really fair point. And I think it's a really uh, intelligent and fresh perspective on the way of seeing that because we know of a few athletes who are always on the cusp of being DPs or have been offered more DP roles with one club or various clubs that would be a great pathway for them to start their WNBL career Mm -hmm. but one close friend in particular had that same opportunity come up and she was just like 
I just physically couldn't do it. I just physically couldn't, you know, be able to work an amount of hours, put in the, the level at a DP. And as you know, when you're a DP, you have to do even more work because you want to try and put yourself in the best position for a roster spot next season. Yeah. So that's all the extra. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, they just kind of needed a break from that grind. Yeah, and I think that the, like there are a lot of stories like that. There are players that either can do it and have done it for like a year or a couple of years or however many years, and then some players who don't even like aren't even really able to access the opportunity the first time it comes around because they've come out of school straight into a full time job or their study and their work just with the hours. I think the WNBL with some teams has moved to daytime training in an effort to be more professional but you can't be professional without the wage and the resource meeting it first otherwise you're sort of undermining someone's ability to survive in this financial climate slash world yeah hellhole yeah that, that, that too that too yeah. <laughs> i can say it i'm a, I'm a co-host i can say it you don't need to <laughs> Feels like you can say it because you're the guest, you've been polite, but financial hellhole of the current economic climate is how I would describe it. Yeah. Yes. To me, it seems like it would be really tough. And a, a lot of athletes, I'm guessing, are just looking at it and going, you know what, I, I either I've got to go and look at a, a, another sport like AFLW and try for that, mm -hmm. or I'm out, I'm going to go do something else. Mm -hmm. And that has another effect, which is, People will be looking at basketball and going, well, hang on a minute, if this is what's happening, is that really a pathway I want to try and pursue? Yeah. I think, and the WBL, for anyone who loves basketball, for any little girl or child growing up playing basketball, the WBL is like the highest honour. Like it's the highest accolade. It's what you're striving for and it's what you do anything for. Like it's not even necessarily about the money until it becomes crunch time and you literally can't survive anymore like i think especially as female athletes there is such a level of gratitude that it becomes almost dangerous because we're so programmed to be so thankful that we will essentially sacrifice our own needs to try and maintain or look after essentially the WNBL. and i think that's happened for a, a long time and Therefore, I am always indebted to all of the athletes who've come before and who are still in the WBL, some of the best athletes in the whole entire world who just have never received the recognition that they deserve. And that attitude too, if you want to keep, you know, uh, touching into the political and um, socialist side of things too, that attitude of being grateful of playing WNBL despite being a professional league without having all of the all the, I guess, not expected but standard levels of professionalism that you see in, in particularly men's sport is such an inherently female attitude to have. I should be grateful that I get to play professional sport. And I think, like you said, the players before us, just like the suffragettes before us, have, are the ones that have created that pathway for us to be in this position. But now we have to start turning the tide and thinking, you know, if this is truly going to be professional, we have to start changing the attitudes that this is an actual job. It's not something that we like to do as a hobby all the time and think, oh, hey, I can make money out of this hobby. This is a job and we should be paid a salary like any other job. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Now, let's move off of basketball for a little bit onto some okay. other stuff. 
We will get, we will come more. we will come back to basketball. <laughs> but I, I also want to talk about the fact that you've done stuff completely unrelated to sport. Mm. Um you know, you've had a novel picked up by a publisher. Mm. So do you yeah. want to tell us a little bit about that? So when I, I describe it the same, like when I was eight years old, all I wanted, I decided I wanted to be a WNBL player and I wanted to be an author. I've always, always wanted to write books. I've loved reading and I loved writing from a really young age. And I, after high school, I studied screenwriting at the Victorian College of the Arts, which is not novel writing but it is adjacent in the creative writing space and I'm very grateful for my time there because it definitely equipped me with a different set of tools I probably would not have got if I had have just studied prose writing so it was a really interesting sort of expansion of my artistic practice and then COVID happened pretty much as I I think I graduated uni when I was in the hub so when I was in 2020, when we were all in far north Queensland during that season and the conclude, like my graduation was essentially, we just shut our laptops down and we said, all right, see you later. No more Zoom was the really theatrical way, conclusion to my tertiary education. And then from there, I basically just tried to write and I submitted as much as I could to as many places as I could. And I just had rejection after rejection come in for pretty much a whole year I would say like I didn't really have any success for a whole year and I had probably like I wrote a little essay just about 111 rejections because like, I kept count in this document where I submitted and I'd cross them off for like a black line every time I had an email back saying oh unfortunately thanks so much for submitting but unfortunately blah 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 coming through it every time during the during when I'm brushing my teeth first thing when I wake up there's always an email saying serene thanks but no thank you and then what happened I was really lucky pretty much this time a year ago maybe a little bit earlier I won a writing competition and then the rest is history. So that is, <laughs> from there, it definitely, yeah, it changed quite drastically. And that's where the next chapter or the real story began. Yeah, that's when all the, the really boring stuff about all of the failures and the bleak outcomes, finally we, the trajectory went upwards a little bit. It spiked positively. When I was with Mad Basketball, wanted that, wanted uh, more um, girls playing basketball. So we wanted to push visibility and representation. Maybe that's me representing women's basketball because I'm always on the court. Uh, people ask me, oh, you know, I used to play at Whitlam Centre, <laughs> Comets. I played Premier League at Comets. Uh, I used to play Premier League at North Sydney. Played Division 1 at North Sydney, you know, I played Division 1 at Hill. So... I've been a player yep. and I've been a coach. Um, so I'm kind of like tapping into basketball at all levels. So then first subs is now a different level of kind of participation. So yeah. now we're look, yeah. going to women who yeah. used to play maybe, you know, who are still playing but wants to just have their basketball fix every week. Yep. Um, that's me. <laughs> yeah. And I think we met, we actually like, I think I kind of blurred. I think I, we met through a scrimmage or, and I found out you were playing at Hills as well. So um, yeah. we were playing social games and um, – 
just got a really good vibe from Kaz. Like she always brought the fun onto the court. So I think I went and watched one of your games and I'm like, this this chick is cool. Like this is, you know, oh I was gosh, out of the game for, for a while because of injury, all the stuff, like like happens, right? Um, and I was just like, just gravitated. And I think that's kind of part of like what you know what's organically happened with first subs is mm. there's a real energy a real culture that's just yeah. really built um and i always oh, say to oh, kaz marianne one of the founders and, and victoria as well you you ladies are the soul right so it's 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 really it's interesting when you meet people you just kind of attract your tribe and i think yeah we we, we met us the game or a scrimmage or some somewhere I mean, I there. I love basketball. I love basketball. You'll know. I want Jacinta to play. <laughs> I want to play she'll be too. coming and she'll be addicted to it like we are. That's it. And because uh, you've come from different sides of basketball yeah. and now your, you know, main mission with First Subs is, you know, the pickup games for females and creating the culture like you said. But coming from organized basketball, like going through club land. Yep. Um, and then organising something like First Subs, which is not clubland at all, no. and it's an opportunity for people no. to see basketball from a different side. Mm-hmm. Like what are some of the similarities and differences between the two worlds? Yeah, so really interesting. So how First Subs started, and actually just kind of thinking and reflecting about this, is one of our co-founders, Mary Ann, like I, um, I met her through playing social basketball games and we played in a team together at one point. And she said to me, you know, I go training um, every week, but um, we do the skills and the drills training, but we only really get 10 minutes of scrimmage and I just want to have some fun. And I, I said, you know what, just book a court. We'll get the women there, right? Mm-hmm. So that's how it happened. Now, then basically we just got an open scrimmage. Um, one of the approaches that we have is we're team and club agnostic. So one of the big differences, it was not, we're not a club, right, what you're saying? Anyone's invited. Right? Any skills? Correct. So, Team of Club Agnostics, it actually allows us to, um, it's, it, it's, it's the focus on collaboration rather than com- competition. Um, and it, it allows women to participate who cannot uh, commit to a full season, right? There are many reasons and barriers for men to commit. They're having children. They can't commit for 16 weeks in a social game. They can't absolutely do that. They're, they're working, they're studying, they're, you know, taking the, usually the primary caregivers as well. Um, and First Subs allows the women that can't commit to actually get that basketball fix. Um, the other part of it as well is that um, we're able to play with friends that we may have played with before. Like I'm one of those people that have come back to the sport um, mm-hmm. due to injury and I just miss playing with my friends and everyone's in different clubs and, and, and organisations. So It's like just, sometimes on a Thursday, we'll see you on Tuesday when we verse each other. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's it. I mean, there's no kind of competition amongst us. It's, it's us loving the sport. We want to play. And this is our opportunity just to play and have fun. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, and kind of what we've started to seeing is because of kind of the easiness of getting into a scrimmage and providing this safe space on the court, um, it is actually bringing women back to playing basketball because they, don't, they can just come for a week, right, or yeah. the next week. And, you know, we've had women come and say to us, you know what, well, I haven't played for years. I don't know how my body's going to move. We're like, hey, I just even know how play. I know how to play. Yeah. <laughs> like right? those questions are in your head because you haven't played for a while. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so it's kind of that that low commitment that women need to just get themselves back in the in the court. What's, what's 
similar to us from a club. Hey, we're still competitive. Like we we want to play. Oh yeah. We want to play. Like we want to play. And like we have some. I mean, we had an amazing night on Thursday night where it was such a good run, and people were creative. They were playful. Right. It gave them a space to actually just be creative, maybe play a different position, um, mm-hmm. let themselves make a mistake. And sometimes in training, it's you know, you make a mistake and it's just it, it's hard to kind of recover from that when you don't have that kind of fun and laughter around you. And it's a really forgiving space here, mm-hmm. Kaz. Like yeah. we're always laughing on <laughs> giving high, high fives. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god, you did that. Yeah. <laughs> now let me say we can we came out to have a look. Oh yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. And you guys you saw the caliber yeah, of players, caliber. right? I, look, I saw the caliber of player, and it was really interesting because there's a full range of yeah. players. There were some players there where I was looking at them thinking, you know what, they could get, they could be into, uh, you know, they could be a, a high-quality player in an NBL 1 team, yeah. Yeah. right? They could be, you know, a bench player in, yep. in a WNBL team. Yep, yeah. All the way to people that you could tell have, have not played for a while. Act. Yep. But the one thing that really got me was, you guys, everybody was playing for sheep stations. Yeah, there's just absolutely no no question in my right. mind that everybody right. was 120% competitive yeah. right. when it came to the game. That yeah. was the first thing because I I couldn't go. Yeah. Uh, but the first thing when I caught up with Paul and Mary about how it was, yeah. that's the first thing Paul said to me, legit. It's supposed to be fun. But he's <laughs> like, that was so competitive <laughs> and I was so into it, but it was really fun. We had to bring a referee just to oh, – I said, maybe the referee will kind of ignite <laughs> this, this passion and I want to play. You know, because I said maybe no referees will just be fun. Yeah. But I mean, it kind of leveled it up. And I said to the referee, can you just let the few things go? But if, you know, but it got so intense. Oh, got yeah. so intense. No, no, it was, it was getting intense. <laughs> and I think that night, one of the players was pregnant as well. Yes, yes yep. correct. Yep. See, yep. there's your yep. diversity right. in our players. And I got to tell you, she was great. She wasn't backing down. Yeah, she wasn't backing down. <laughs> okay, so oh. every game, so that her name's Karen, yeah. and when we played, we were like, watch out for Karen. Karen goes, no, don't watch out for me. You know what I mean? I, I know how to handle myself. Uh, yeah, definitely. Right? Yeah. So I'm like, oh, my God, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> She's pregnant. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No. yeah, and this is the thing, right? She was, we, you know, you know, we, we've seen her play before when she, she wasn't pregnant. She's an athlete, right? She, she, athlete. she knows how Cross to take care of her body. Well. Yeah. She trains every day, and you know what? It was an us to say that she couldn't play. She knew her body, right? Mm. So we don't want to make the decision for the woman, but she knew it's going to be a safe space for her to play. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think uh, we were talking off air about when. Sometimes you're the lone uh, female yeah. going to an all-male pickup and I was uh, sharing my story. If, if I don't go consistently, I feel like every week I have to keep proving yeah. myself to all these new dudes that I can play, I, I know my limitations, I can look after myself. You know, I'm not going to take a charge against a six-foot-eight no. guy. No, you can just over the top of me. Because A, there's no referees and B, I'm too old for that now. Uh, I will be broken on the floor. I know my limits. Yeah, I know that's right. how to yeah. handle myself and yeah. I think it's really important when you create those environments to have uh, to be able to respect everyone to be able Correct. to make those decisions yeah. to keep themselves safe yeah. and I think that is part of I mean please correct me if I'm wrong because you were the expert in creating cultures which in my mind in any context is still a really difficult thing it's to do difficult. yeah um, 
but I think having the respect for people to be able to make those choices kind of then ties into mm-hmm. we're going to create the safe space and you're going to be safe enough to make those own choices and we'll have to, you know, respect yes. that yes. too. Yeah, respect that, yeah. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.